for joining me on episode 48 of the Unique on Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Jenneman, just a regular gal trying to help people know that they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. Today on this Sermon Notes edition, I spoke at a local church during a victory series leading up to Easter. So take a listen as we dig into the basics of learning how to walk free from sin. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3 and then stick your thumb into Matthew chapter 27 because we'll be in both areas today. But we're continuing the victory series as we are leading up to Easter or as some would say, Resurrection Sunday, and we're taking some of the last phrases that Jesus said before dying on the cross and depicting those. And today we're talking about something I think that we can all relate to, and as Jesus has been beaten, he's whipped, he's been mocked, and now he's hanging on a cross and he says, God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And it's relatable because we've all said it. We've all felt that wondering where God is in certain moments in our life. I say it every night helping my seventh grader with his math homework at the kitchen table. Oh my God, why have you forsaken your servant? Because it's obvious that Satan was the one that put letters in math. I mean, who does that? Because math wasn't hard enough for humans, Satan said, let's go ahead and add those letters. But in all seriousness, this moment where Jesus is, is there is the moment that we know that we can be forgiven for the sins that we've done in our lives, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But let's back up, because what is sin? We hear that word a lot in the church and even outside the four walls of the church. Simply put, sin is just disobeying God, missing his standard. And just as we have laws of the land that all of us have broken, going over the speed limit, not wearing our seatbelt, We've all broken God's laws. All of us have lied. We've all stolen something, even if it was just as small as a pencil at school. We've all lusted over someone that wasn't our spouse. But I think in order for us to understand sin, we need to go back to the beginning. Because if God is really as good as Christians say he is, why is there so much hate? Why is there war in the Ukraine? Why is there division? And in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see God getting creative. And he spends a few days making the universe and the earth and the moon and the stars. And here on this earth, he creates water and land, night and day, and animals that go through the water, that fly in the sky, that roam the land. And every day for five days, he looked at what he created. And he said, that's good. Yep, that's good. And then on the sixth day, he did something different. And that is he created man in his image. He created Adam out of the dust of the ground, placed him in the Garden of Eden, the most beautiful place this world has ever known, and said, it is not good for me, man, to be alone. And in this beautiful garden, he creates woman. And he looked back that day, and he didn't just say it was good, but he said it was very good. 
Why? Because he created something in his own image. And side note, this is why gender is so important in a, in a world that's trying to make everything gender neutral. Here you have Adam. Is, he has a portion of God's image that we don't see in Eve. And in Eve, we have a portion of God's image that we don't see in Adam. It is so important because they reflect the image of God. But even in that perfection... God did not want to force them to love him, and he gave them a choice. And he said, in this whole garden, you can eat any of the fruit on the trees, except this one, this one's mine. This is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat it, don't even touch it, or you will surely die. And this is where we pick up in Genesis chapter three. The serpent who was Satan coming in the form of a serpent, was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the tree, or the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced, and she saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame in their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together and covered themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord asked. You have, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me this fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. It is because of this moment of disobedience we have sin in this world. That we have hate and division and war and famine, diseases, cancers. Because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, we now face those consequences and we inherit that sin nature. It is passed down from generation to generation. And Adam and Eve, they created this gap between themselves and God. We call it the sin gap. But with every human problem, God always has a solution. And before he banished Adam and Eve out of the garden, he prophesied that one day someone would come that would bridge that gap between them as humans and him as God. You ask any police officer, there are three different types of crimes, and it's the same with sin. Three different categories. Love or lust. There's also greed or money. And then power. And you can even put pride and control in that category. Sometimes it's a combination. Like take, take 
King David, for example. Here he is supposed to be at war, and he sees Bathsheba bathing on a roof and with lust in his heart. And greed, when you really think about it, because he already had 17 wives back home, 16 too many. And he sees this woman takes her to bed with him, finds out months later she's pregnant, and in trying to stay in control, has her husband killed. All sin falls under those three categories. And when I became a Christian, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but I met Jesus when I was a teenager. And I often wondered, is it possible to live a sinless life, but yet not be fully committed to God. Because I wanted to be a good person, but you have to admit, this following Jesus thing is really weird. But honestly, what I was asking was, can I still be a good person and yet still be the God of my own life? And the answer is no, I can't. I cannot live a completely sinless life without the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I cannot live a sinless life without or being God at the same time, being my own God. But who cares if you sin? Why do you, why should you care if I sin? Because we live in a culture that says, do what makes you happy, right? That's the mantra of the day. But what happens when what makes you happy destroys my life? What happens because I'm just going to be real. There are things that would make me really happy right now that would destroy the lives of people around me. We should care about sin because when we sin, we become slaves to sin. Jesus said this in the book of John. He said, whoever sins is a slave to sin. Everyone's heard the addict say, I can quit if I want, right? We've all heard, we've all heard an addict say that. That's how you know they're an addict, Because really they can't. They have become a slave to their sin. They thought that they could become sin's master, but in return, it's now their master. It could be drugs, stealing, sex, pornography. But whatever it is that you are addicting to, you are not its master. It has become your master. Sin also destroys your body. And it can destroy your life and the lives of people around you. When we become slaves to sin, it will eventually deteriorate our bodies and affect those around us. Let's take Hollywood, for example. Hollywood is very good at portraying a promiscuous lifestyle that is fun and exciting with absolutely no consequences. And just like any sin, I'm sure that lifestyle is fun and exciting. And we live in a culture that worships sex and a media that sticks it in front of our faces, but yet hides the consequences, hides the very thing it steals from us. The CDC reports that millions of Americans are infected with sexually transmitted diseases every single year. One out of every four sexually active people has at least 2.3 STDs. These are diseases that cause a lot of the cancers we're seeing, affections in newborns. And this is just the tip of the iceberg of what sin can do in that context. Sin is also contagious. Paul tells us in the New Testament that bad company 
corrupts good morals or good character. And just as a virus is contagious, we all know about viruses, right? We've been living in one for the past two years. We all know that a virus is contagious. And just like sin, a virus does not want to die. And it attaches itself to human after human multiplying and mutating. Take the family structure, for example. When you have a father in the home that is physically abusive to his wife, statistics show there is an increased chance of the daughters in that home finding themselves in a similar situation with a future boyfriend or husband. Not 100%, but it's an increased likely. And those sons in that family have an increased chance of repeating their father's offense to their future girlfriend or wife. Why? Because sin spreads. It's contagious. And then, of course, there's the ultimate, which is eternal separation. God warned Adam back in the garden. He said, listen, don't touch this tree. Don't touch the fruit. Because even when you touch it, you'll die. Not just an eventual physical death, but also a spiritual death. And when they fell, they created a sin gap between themselves and God. And if there is no bridge to close that gap, it doesn't mean just separation from God here on earth, but it means separation from God for all of eternity. So how do we, how do, we do that? How do we bridge that gap? How do we help this sin problem that all of us have in our lives? Because the Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. First of all, we need to go to God and we confess, God, I have messed up here and I need to repent. Repent means to turn away from sin. You ask forgiveness, but then you turn away from that sin. Once you confess to God, then you need to confess to someone else, someone trusted in your life, a spouse, a pastor, counselor. In the book of James, it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Gender dysphoria is a very hot topic in our culture, and even in the church, which it shouldn't be in the church. These are the topics we should be talking about, right? But have you ever talked to someone that has gender dysphoria? A friend of mine, Linda, born female, but all growing up felt as if she was a man trapped inside a girl's body. And she hated it, and she was so ashamed. And she kept it close to her heart, And she did everything she could to try and get rid of those feelings, and nothing worked. And she decided, okay, when I become an adult one day, I'm going to transition over. Well, then as a teenager, Linda met Jesus. And she said, yes, finally, I know what God's going to do. He is going to cure me of this, and I am finally going to be fine in a female body. And as she started being discipled and moving up in the church, she was finding that God wasn't curing her. 
In one service, she's listening to her pastor, and he preached this very verse, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And that convicted her because it was something that she kept a secret in her heart her whole life. And she met with her pastor, and she confessed everything. And you know what he said? He said, thank you for telling me. We're going to walk you through this. That was 15 years ago, and today she is an ordained minister, a PhD, a campus missionary to a university in Indiana. She's been on Focus on the Family, and she travels the country sharing her story of how God set her free, and she is now embracing how God created her, and that is to be the woman that he wants her to be, all because she confessed. Why is it important to confess? Because Satan loves when you're isolated. Because that's when he can tell you the lies. And also, can we put that verse back up on the screen again? Something I noticed. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Linda didn't know this, but as she started walking her journey after confessing, she found that there were so many wounds on her heart that needed healing, that were contributing to her dysphoria. It's to get you out of isolation, and it's to get you to a place where God can heal your heart. The third thing that we need to do is to get the donuts out of the fridge. Every pastor has their famous saying, right? I had a pastor, this was one of his favorite lines, get the donuts out of the fridge. What does that mean? It means if I'm 100 pounds overweight and I go to the doctor and he says, Sister, you need to lose some weight. You need to be eating fruits and vegetables, eight glasses of water a day. You need to exercise. And I say, yeah, no problem. But I go home, there's donuts in the fridge. Might have to get rid of those. Now, it's tempting to leave the donuts in the fridge because I went all the way to Interlock into Bud's Donuts and I got those. And I'll tell you what, Bud's Donuts, they're not cheap. So if I throw them away, I might as well take a $10 bill and just put it in the trash can. So I'll just leave them in the fridge. It'll be fine. I won't eat them. They'll just stay. But what you're doing is you're leaving temptation right in front of you. And you will eventually succumb to that temptation. It's best to just remove the temptation altogether. If you have a pornography addiction, that might mean the inconvenience of getting rid of the Internet. If God's convicting you to quit smoking, but every day on the way to the office, you pass the 7-Eleven, and that is your morning routine, to stop and pick up a pack of smokes, it might mean going a different direction to work. Y'all, I pass Culver's and Chick-fil-A every day on the way to work, okay? My waistline and my wallet are like, girl, you're sinning against me. You got to find a different route to work. So I get it. Sometimes it takes an inconvenience in order for us to get set free. Number four, get help. When you confess your sin to somebody, that might be a great person to have as an accountability partner or your Bible study, or depending on what you're struggling with, it might mean professional help. Depression, for example, that's not something you can just pray away with an accountability partner. You'll need a professional Christian counselor or therapist that is an expert in how God has wired the brain to be able to walk you through what you're going through. And once you have done all of those, it's time to walk in freedom. 
And I'm sure all of you have heard the phrase, I've been hearing it a lot in the past few years. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But you know what, you know what Peter tells me in the New Testament? He says I'm a royal priesthood. He says I'm a holy nation. That I am God's possession. So I, I get the sentiment to that phrase because believe me, I wake up every day apologizing to Jesus. I haven't even done anything yet, but I know I'm going to mess up somewhere down the line. But I don't need to act like I am a sinner saved by grace. I need to walk in the freedom that God has placed in my life. Corey Tim Boone, a famous Christian who was in a concentration camp during the Holocaust for hiding Jews. Due to a miraculous clerical error, a week before she was supposed to be executed, was released from the concentration camp. And in her biography, she says, once she got out of that camp, the air smelled different. Food never tasted so good. Colors were so bright because she was stuck in gray and gloom. She was walking in freedom. She didn't say, well, I'm just a concentration camp prisoner saved by a clerical error. No, she walked in freedom. We just sang it in that Phil Wickham song. We were the beggars. Now we're royalty. We were prisoners. And now we're running free. We are to walk in that freedom and help others out to where they're enslaved and bring them up to where we are. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. And while you're turning there, I want to read a verse in Genesis. Because how is it that we are able to walk free? I mean, asking God for forgiveness just doesn't seem like enough. And that's because it's not. And God knew that because every human problem, God has a solution. And right before God banished Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden... He said this. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. On the surface, that that verse makes absolutely no sense. But when you dig into that verse, what is happening is God is prophesying. He is saying that one day he is going to send someone to bridge that gap between humankind and God himself. And that is where we pick up in Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. Jesus has been whipped, he's been beaten, he's mocked, and now he hangs on nails on a cross. And it says, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. So here, the brightness of the day from noon to three, it was completely dark. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma benash sebashani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted again, and he released his spirit. 
It is at this moment when Jesus is saying, God, my God, why have you abandoned me? That there is now a separation between him and the Father, and he is now becoming a substitute for the sinner. It is the climax of his suffering. You would think all the beatings and the nailing and the mocking, that that would be torture enough, but no, this, this is it. This is the ultimate. It is because of this moment, this separation, that we can have our sins forgiven. Because our sins, they separate us from God. They don't separate us from his love, but they separate us from him, his presence, and ultimately, if we don't bridge that gap, ultimately forever. So Jesus says these words, he dies. Three days later, he is resurrected. He has beaten the grave. And now you have this perfect man who lived a perfect life, beaten and bruised, hung on a cross, died, beaten the grave, all so we can live with him forever. All so we can be forgiven. And now the gap that was between humankind and God, it's now closed. When we ask for that forgiveness, Jesus is now that bridge. And this is not a message to tell you all the things that you've done wrong and to bring guilt and shame, because all of us have messed up. It's a message about hope, the fact that each of us has this divide. God sent someone to bridge the divide. I'll end with this. A couple months ago, the movie Redeeming Love came out. And I understand that there's controversy about that movie, but let's just set the controversy aside a moment. The book and the movie are based on the book Hosea in the Old Testament. Hosea is a prophet. And God asks Hosea to marry a prostitute. And metaphorically, Hosea is supposed to represent God, and metaphorically, that prostitute represents the people of Israel because they were prostituting themselves against the Lord. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm watching this movie, and every day, the character that represents Hosea, or in a sense, God represents, he keeps coming to the brothel every day to ask that prostitute to marry him. He says, marry me, I will rescue you, I will take you away from this life, and I offer you freedom. Marry me. And every time he asks her to marry him, she says this, no man will ever own me. And I don't know if the screenwriters did this on purpose, but I was about to jump out of my seat and into that screen. I wanted to grab that little girl and go, ma'am, you are already owned. The brothel owns you. Every man that comes in every half hour to pay for you owns you. But what she really wanted was she wanted to become her own God. And being our own God leads to being a slave to sin. We're going to be owned by somebody. We had two choices. We can either choose the hard route and say, yes, God, I want to be your possession and walk in freedom. Or we can say, no, I want to be my own God and become a slave to sin. Those, those are our two options. It's our choice to pick which one. 
If you can go ahead and stand with me. If I could just have every head bowed and eyes closed, nobody's looking around, we're not judging you. But I do want to ask, if you're in here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, you've never asked him into your heart, or maybe you did when you were little, but you have walked away and you say, I have that separation from God and I need a bridge to replace that gap. I need Jesus in my life. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I I see those hands. If you have raised your hand for that, I want to make sure that you come see myself or Pastor Chris or Pastor Brock. We want to make sure that we pray for you. For the rest of us, if you say, I'm a Christian, but I, I have some secret sin in my life that I need to confess. Again, nobody's looking around, but I want to pray for you. If that is you, will you raise your hand? Lord, I just thank you so much for those people right now raising their hands knowing that there is a gap between them and you. I thank you, Lord, that they are willing to say, yes, I need to be set free, and that's what I pray for right now in Jesus' name. God, whatever it is, I have no clue what they're going through right now. I don't know their struggle, but you do, and I pray for strength in Jesus' name. I pray, God, that you would give them that person they need to confess to, that you would give them that person that needs to walk alongside of them so they can live free. In Jesus' name, let's take a moment and let's worship God. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Unique On Purpose podcast. If you are interested in having me speak at your church, you can click on the speaking tab at racheljenneman.com. And join me next time as we begin our first episode of the ADHD series. Unique On Purpose is available on iTunes as well as Spotify. So don't forget to share, download, and subscribe. And remember, you were created unique on purpose. You are loved. And because of Christ, you have been made worthy. I will see you next time.